0: the
1: time is it? 8.30. <laughs> Welcome to this latest edition of the Livingston Experience. Uh, we're here again on a Sunday afternoon and uh, I'm joined once again by my trusty cohort, Darren Hill and Des, uh, COVID has finally caught up with you or well, not you so much, but more your son. So you're in quarantine at the moment.
0: Yeah, we are. We're in quarantine, aren't we? And it's allowed us to sit on the sofa and soak up a bunch of NBA, Daz. So silver linings. He's fine. He had a, had a bit of a rough patch, but he's good. He's uh, on the roadblocks and um, watching the Lakers Warriors with me. But so not so bad.
1: Who's his favorite uh, NBA player? Is he on the Jammer train like everyone else at the moment, or does he have a favorite? A good
0: question. Monty, who's your favorite NBA player? Top three or top four? Yeah, top three, perhaps. Yeah. Yannis, um, um, Steph, Steph, and. Uh, Takes her good radio, Daz. A thinking yeah. eight-year-old, he takes it very serious. Has he seen Jakob Turtle two- play? <laughs> he has. It's like he—he he looks like Daddy. I'm—I'm <laughs> I'm as tall as Jakob compared to you know compared to him. His number three jaw. Yeah, there we go. So Giannis, Yannis oh, Stefan Jaw, one, two, three.
1: Well, it's not a bad one. Let Let's start there, Daz. And weird. he likes
0: LeBron. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, everyone's allowed one voice. But uh, <laughs> let's start with Ja Morandez because uh, he he caught fire at the end of last week when I'm putting up 40, uh, 48, I think it was in, in Chicago in one of the games of the season, actually, where Memphis went in there and took care of business against the Bulls. And then as an encore came out against uh, my fight in San Antonio Spurs. And put up 52 points on 22 of 30 shooting, in a performance that, he, and and even the Memphis commentators and, and and I watched the Memphis post game and they sort of said, "Look, our job is to put words to what we've just seen," and they said, "We're just sitting here, just totally stunned. There were no words to describe what we just watched." And look, we've seen, we see 50 point games. I mean, LeBron put up 54 today. We've yeah, we we will see 50 point games again. That was a performance that you you had to be seen to be believed. Just the athleticism from it, the, just the sheer force of nature. And he had two, maybe the two best players we've seen this season, Daz, within five minutes of one another. A dunk on the aforementioned Jakob uh, in uh, with about five minutes to go. And then with 0.4 of a second left. And, and Spurs fans know all about what can happen in 0.4 of a second in the NBA a full court pass from Stephen Adams and he catches it going out of bands. And as soon as he put the shot up, you just went, that's going in. Like it was that sort of night for him where everything was just going to have, going to go in no matter what he did. And the Spurs tried everything to stop him. Popovich said after the game, asked the reporters whether they held him to 50 or not, because he knew they were trying to set up a wall. They were double teaming. and they threw everything you could think of. And he's just like, I'm either going to the rim or I'm going to hit four for four from three in the first half, which kind of sort of set up what he needed to do in the second half. And the best thing about the game, Daz, was the Spurs kept fighting and it was a one-possession game sort of midway through the fourth quarter. So Jar had to take over again and scored 13 straight points down the stretch of the game. Just And I was scratching my head before I throw to you just thinking, I'm not, I'm not sure what the comp would be something like this i mean bill simmons suggested the sort of late 80s jordan but you never had the three-point shooting uh in those days that we see now i i can't remember seeing a performance like it um and, and a all or a player like this just the way he's looking at the moment i'm always seeing him become a superstar right throughout and the final point i make chris vernon was he's on he's part of the the memphis grizzlies uh commentary team and he uh, does the post-game show there and he said Jars sort of skipped a step he goes we see guys go from really good players then to consistently great players and then the superstar he's just gone from a really good player that we thought yeah he's got a chance to just becoming a superstar this season I mean does did you catch the game and, and what did you make of it as you're as you watching it
0: yeah it's impossible to miss um, I, I watched it on. I didn't watch it live I saw it on replay and saw everything that you saw um the, i thought that it's funny we say the two most unbelievable highlights of the season and i think you missed one which was the slash into the lane 360 the 360 mm. like floater uh his body control Daz, is uh, that's where i struggled to even find the comp his body control is like a romanian gymnast it is remarkable the way he can elevate and hang and twist and yet get his shoulders square and find balance it is it is remarkable um the best comp for, i mean this is just off the top of my head i haven't thought a lot about comps but it's like if alan iverson were six foot five right the relentlessness the speed the change of direction and then the, the elite ability to score at three levels he can finish he can hit a floater He can hit 360 floaters, and he's now added this game. He's 34, 35% from deep on the year. Again, like Iverson when he's cooking, he just, he could, he could put that ball up from anywhere on the floor and probably what separates him from, from AI and to continue this comp is he is a very, he's a selfless player. Like he's truly a team, team guy who's embraced the city, embraced the franchise right is elevated guys around him from desmond bain to dylan brooks to well like stephen adams is having a you know a stephen adams season you know and just in terms of both on court and off court leadership so it's that's what i see guys i see yes of course the x's and o's and i see the highlights but it's it's hard to miss the fact here is a kid who is taking a franchise in about three months time put this little franchise literally in a global spotlight and it is it is fun i think I've been tracking Josh just probably because I've had him on fantasy for you know for 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 a while now. And so it's hard not to kind of track him. But I think we were warning back in October, November, like, oh look out, Memphis fans. The bandwagon is gonna grow and it's gonna be fun. So remember the doldrums of November, December when the product was just brutal and COVID has had ravaged and we're just struggling for some good games. And yet every night in Memphis, the crowd was into it, the crowd was loud and or something special happening there, Daz, and it's really, really fun.
1: Well, the crowd absolutely went off in that Spurs game, and the reason I didn't mention the three sixty was because he had an even better one in the game before against the Bulls, and it's <laughs> just like you. Can, and I don't know if you've seen that. If you haven't seen it, go and watch the highlights of what he did against uh, Chicago, and it's undefendable. Like the way the guy's just moving in the, in the key when he once he sort of starts getting some momentum towards the basket. And poor old Pirtle, when he did the dunk, and if you actually watch it, and I've watched it numerous times, he gets to a point where he's outside of the key, right? But as he starts to take it in, there's one sole person behind the Grizzlies bench that stands up because he knows what's coming. And it was his father that's just behind the bench. And it was pointed out, I think, again, Chris Vernon pointed this out, and he, he just takes off over the key. And Purdle, who's the most unassuming NBA player uh, in the league, came over and sort of unwisely <laughs> tried to get in the way of it. And it was just horrific uh, what happened to the poor guy. And it was good in the sense that happened to Pirtle because Purdle's just the most unshakable sort of personality he wouldn't let it bother him, but uh yeah, other players might have tried to go and hide on the pitch yeah. or something after just being absolutely it, obliterated uh, it, it, the way was, it was
0: it, it was the backcourt players' version of Giannis dragging his bits over the forehead of Tim Hardaway Jr. in the Garden <laughs> a few years ago. It was, but yeah, kudos to Puddle for just turning around and you know hitting the glass on the, on the other end. But that was. That was something else. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know what's left to say about Ja. He's a superstar. He will be, if he's not first team All-NBA, it's absolutely criminal. Um, there they'll put, you know, I don't know who they're going to put up there, but it should be Ja on first team. And um, but I think Chris Vernon said something really interesting about the um, about this team because it's been such a surprise. Their over-under for wins this year, I think, was 40 and a half. Right, and they've literally already exceeded it. And um, what he said was that he's just trying to almost fend off expectations because he says nothing about the season should be viewed from the frame or from the lens of of disappointment. So I don't want to hear about oh they're so good they should be making a title run or they should be if they're this good you know and they're for real they should be hitting the you know going deep into the you know conference finals and that sort of thing because because i don't want anything to sully what's been a remarkable season so just national media we know you love the story and you're trying to pump it up but um here in memphis we're just sort of taking every day like a gift and just trying to enjoy the ride because this is a team who's never you know they haven't won a playoff series yet and so i thought that was interesting where they're just trying to pump the brakes on expectations just so they can they can enjoy this.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, with all NBA, it'd be nice to sort of try and uh, shoehorn Jokic in there as a forward, and you just say it's Embiid, Jokic, Giannis, get DeRozan in there as a shooting guard, and then have a Jar. And I think that that they're the five guys that have defined this season, certainly to this point. Uh, I think, you know, what what DeRozan's done in Chicago has been outstanding, and his, his confidence is off the charts At the moment he's cooled down a little bit since the all-star break but but still playing at a very very high level for a team that's sort of pushing up uh at the upper echelon of the eastern conference so to me that would be a great five-man unit to have as that that first team all nba but unfortunately because of the the way that they uh look at the i mean and and how you have to sit there and say well DeRozan is a forward when a lot of times he's playing point guard for that team. it really makes no sense anymore to keep the positions i think with the all nba stuff such as the position basketball that we play but i can't see a scenario where jar's not the the first team. i mean who would you think would, would be pushing up there ahead of him i mean steph curry's not been anywhere near uh the player that he's been in in the past um, this year, certainly from the numbers point of view. And uh, Devin Booker, I guess, would be the only other one. And that's if, if furnace can continue to sort of push on uh with, with their number one seed in the West.
0: That's yeah, just guys who, you know, I, I know have sort of been a little bit more in this conversation. So even Luca, who's had a, you know, he's surging. Trey Young is an elite, elite offensive player, right? So, you know, I think there's and then Steph just has the narrative right and even though his 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 efficiency numbers have absolutely plummeted he's been six seven weeks slump now and not just a slump in terms of curry terms he's like almost league average true shooting percentage and so um it'll be tough to knock him down but yeah i think that's it's a crowded 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 field for um backcourt all nba this year and Mm -hmm. there'll be there'll be there'll be amazing players that you know get left off this year but I guess it's a testament to the depth and um, and where the league is at. And I don't know about you, Daz, but I, I feel um, the intensity of the games is finally picking up and the importance and the stakes are starting to kind of come into play. Both teams, some teams, right, fighting for playoff spots, a few teams shooting for seeds and a few teams, right, getting just trying to get rotations and players right for the for a playoff run. So it's just zooming back out. It's kind of nice to have uh, intense you know, two-way basketball again.
1: Well, just on Steph Curry too, I thought he might've played himself back in the form with that All-Star performance. And just to quickly touch on the All-Star game, I and mean, the All-Star weekend in, in some respects was a disappointment. I didn't see any of the dunk contest, but they said it was the worst ever. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't bother checking it out. I think they sort of broke the dunk. Um, Levine and Aaron Gordon broke the dunk contest a few years ago yeah. they should have just retired after what those two guys did uh but the, the all-star game itself does i think they finally sort of fixed the all-star game i mean even though you know it goes without saying it's never the most competitive game that you've ever seen but uh it was fun it was engaging right the way through they sort of they were playing for for charity money on each quarter every quarter sort of went down to the last uh the last minute of each quarter, in, in, which was you know manufactured in a, in a lot of senses. But then you had Steph Curry, uh, who just went off. Uh, I think at, at one point he was 16 for 20 or something from three. It was just a ridiculous uh, performance. And there was one sequence where the ball went from LeBron to Jokic to Giannis to Steph. And Steph hit a, a wide open through. And the ball was just zipping around. You're just like, that's the level of basketball and that's the sort of stuff. That you'd like to see um, from from uh, from from an all star game when you get the, these level of players out there, and it came down to the final shot and, and LeBron. Uh, hit the final shot. DeRozan hit hit a big shot there in the stretch of that one as well when they needed to. And just final point, I mean, there was a couple of nice moments where DeRozan and Levine, because now it's not conference-based, so DeRozan and Levine had some one-on-ones against each other and you sort of saw that. I think there was Giannis blocked Middleton at the rim at one point as well. So it's nice to see teammates going against each other in a semi-competitive environment as well. So it was uh, much more fun than it has been I think and I think they've finally sort of fixed the all-star game and may, they may need to revisit other parts of that uh, and but in terms of Steph Curry yeah I thought maybe that's he shot himself back into form and we're going to see him pick that up but uh, unfortunately hasn't been the case and then Golden State they're in a bit of a you know, I, I hesitate to say three fall because they're not sort of you know in the Orlando Magic level of of a free fall. But uh, they've, given that they're punching for the number two seed at the moment, um, I think they're going to finish well behind Memphis the way
0: they're playing right now. Well, they're officially the three seed today after this loss. They've lost four in a row. They've lost eight out of ten. Half game behind Memphis and uh, three games, three games clear of the Jazz. Yeah, so they're still pretty unlikely to fall, but you got, um, but yeah, you never know at this pace and the way clay, you know, hasn't, um, or clay hasn't been, you know, anywhere near old clay. And then not that anyone expected it, but you just didn't know what to expect from clay. And so he's got stuff doing, doing a lot and carrying a lot. And, um, yeah, you just start to wonder, you think, you know, he's also not the youngest guy. He's carrying a pretty heavy load this regular season, Daz, and I don't want to say fatigue because he's in elite condition, but I just, you start, you wonder about the fatigue, you wonder if, you know, carrying it night after night after night like this, especially with Draymond out, and then just trying to do your best to fit Clay into the lineup whose head, we were just saying before the pod that 29% usage, Daz, a career high, you know, which I, I, I hypothesize is a very conscious, um, Way to accelerate his development, which is keep his minutes down. But the minutes he's in there, they want him getting as many reps as possible. But it's a uh, very, very inefficient reps uh, at the at this point in time. Which is that's hard. Like how do you fitting a twenty nine percent usage player in the middle of the season whilst he's trying to find his legs? That's tough. And so it's not just about stuff, you know, in in a bubble. Uh, I shouldn't say in a bubble, but in 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 a vacuum, right? With his with his inefficiency plummeting, but that that team is trying on the fly to you know, change a very major part of its of its team with with clay. And do a similar thing with Draymond. I think he's the smartest man probably in basketball. So integrating him won't probably be that much more difficult. But you see them doing a lot of things. They almost kind of look bucks like a couple of years ago where they got they're trying to find rotations, trying to find you know a top seven, eight guys. They got Kaminga playing minutes now pretty regularly. Um, who was effective early in the year. He's he's kind of in, he's kind of down. He's kind of, he's gone from a guy who was relied upon, you know, 32 minutes a night for the first three months of the season. Now he's kind of, some nights he's in, some nights he's not. It's tough. That is really tough to change on the fly like that. And so, um, so for me, the story of stuff isn't really about stuff. It's the context of what that team is going through. And you just have to wonder, just doesn't, just sure doesn't feel like a team that's, that's built for, a deep playoff run just because they don't have anyone in the center, right? And you got Kev, Kevon Looney and a bunch of nobody. And I don't know if Wiseman will ever be good enough to play playoff basketball. Play clearly not himself. And then just this churn of players, it just feels like I feel like they might kind of come back to earth here, Daz, and be, you know, not this 70%, you know, win percentage team, but probably closer to a you know four or five seed caliber kind of team is what they're seems to be headed for. I don't know do you see it differently?
1: No, well look, I've never fully bought in on this team and I, I sort of had to had to pivot on that because they just kept winning. Uh but you you're looking at it now and I think some unsustainable things haven't really panned out. Like Gary Payton II was playing really well. Um you yeah, know iguadala's not even playing not playing at the moment either yeah we are thinking more well, is wise i going to come in but look it all comes down to whether draymond can come back or not and if draymond comes back and is 100 healthy and can start to contribute again then this team gets back on track and i think they're they're a very strong sort of two three suit in the west but if draymond can't come back or he's not quite 100 then you're putting too much pressure on um the other areas in the team. and and steph's got to get more efficient uh and he's got to sort of start hitting some more shots than what the a, a better clip uh the one he has been with the clay thompson thing too i've been surprised right from the start that, that he's been putting the ball on the floor a lot more i thought he would be just out there just basically spot up shooting for a while till he got his legs back but they've they're been asking to do a lot more straight off the bat um which to your point i think will help uh, accelerate his development and who knows, he might start looking a lot better himself come playoff time. So I still think there's a there's a ceiling there for the Warriors where they can potentially get through the West, particularly if, if you know, again, we're talking about health, you look at Chris Paul, um, I think the only team the Warriors would look at and say, at our best, Phoenix are, are the team that we'd be most worried about. I think they'd, they'd back themselves to get past Memphis if Draymond's there. So I'm, I'm not fully write him off but i'm not sort of fully in I'm, I'm on the fence at the moment let's see how they look once draymond comes back uh and then they get some you know because kaminga's look good in parts and he's a very very good defender so you throw Kaminga and draymond green out there with curry wiggins and thompson that's a that could be a scary lot, scary five-man lineup to close out some of those games uh i just i would the final point i make i would like to see them um get better player that center position and I think that's where ultimately they might end up coming up short when you if you're coming up against a, a, a DeAndre Ayton and I 08 Ayton had a big game against them last time Phoenix went up against them and that that might be a consistent problem for them um going forward in the playoffs I mean what do you say I mean do you sort of see the same thing if, if Draymond comes back you think Phoenix are going to be their major one or would you back Memphis to beat them at this point?
0: oh i'm still i mean phoenix for me is in the driver's seat right so if if draymond's back and if chris paul is back i think phoenix is uh they're just heads and heads and shoulders above above the pack. as so i i'd struggle to think if is golden state even the number two um although utah seems to also be kind of having some um some wobbles himself you know just i don't know what's going on in utah does but uh, it feels like it's phoenix in the in the field in the West. Well,
1: but does it feel like that across the NBA, do you think? I mean, the Phoenix sort of in a tier on their own would we be talking about favoritism, or do or is there anyone in the east that you throw up there as well? Because there's not for me. Not there's no one in the mm, east no. that I'd throw throw well, in the it, at the moment.
0: In this chaotic season, right? It's it's Phoenix and up until Chris Paul's hand injury, right? They're 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 kind of like what the Bucks were last year, which is this super steady. Right, very very high floor, high high predictability of of outcomes night to night because they play very strong defense and they're very consistent on the offensive end. Right, so that's the that's what Phoenix feels like this year is like they just have the continuity, the the system, the coaching, the personnel, the depth. Right, they just they just have they don't have a weakness when when they're fully healthy. And that's even the healthy teams, like even if um the insufferable himself, you know, comes back and plays in Philadelphia, right? That's team still has glaring weaknesses, that the Sixers, right? I'm I'm so tired of talking about Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons now on the same team. Like to say Brooklyn has question marks is uh you know is an understatement, right? The Bucks, it's just the Bucks depth isn't there. And I'll say that the what Draymond is to the Golden State is not quite the same, but Brooke Lopez missing from that Bucks team has completely changed the way that team plays defense and it changed the ceiling of their defense, right? Um, and up and down the list, Miami is again probably the steadiest, but do you trust their offense late in games? You know that they're just they're a grinding team who, yeah, they can grind you down and win 99, 97, but man. It, If you get, you know, if if a Giannis or a KD or, or or a Harden or someone gets hot in the playoffs, you you trust Miami to close a gap. So I guess what I'm saying is like the contenders just all have question marks and Phoenix is maybe the one team without, uh, there's not an obvious weakness. So that's why I kind of, you know, that's why I think they're. I don't even consider Golden State a serious threat, just because as we said about Clay, he's not there and just all the variability he introduces to their team. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but it does feel a bit like when Gordon Hayward came back from that injury and Brad Stevens was thrusting him in the lineup when he wasn't performing, right? And just the friction that causes in the locker room. And I'm not saying that's coming from Golden State at all, but you wonder, you do wonder if some of that does simmer with an Andrew Wiggins or a Jordan Poole, who again, probably two of the more humble guys in the league, probably to a fault, but you wonder, cause that's been the two main, you know, kind of the main sort of, um, the people have felt the brunt of Clay's coming back Is their, you know, their minutes and usage have dropped since he's played. And so is that better in the long run? For sure. Is that better for, the, you know, the, you know, winning ball games right now? Eh, not sure about it. So just kind of coming back to the beginning is I'm not sure, Daz. I mean, until Draymond's healthy, do we have any idea what Golden State actually is? So it's just a, they're just a big question mark for me. And clearly I just, being repetitive now, but just Steph just can't carry this team for 82 games and carry them through seven game series. He, he just, he just can't. He's not, he's not a, a Giannis or a Luca to, to do that. He, he's just not.
1: Well, and that's the thing about the Suns. I think they could come through the West quite easily. I think they could come through the West losing, say, two games or something, because you, you sort of look at it and you think they're going to get, let's say, the Clippers in round one. Well, that's a sweep. Then they come up against, uh, either the Jazz, Nuggets or or Mavs in, in round two, that's probably a gentleman sweep, five games. Then maybe you've got this plucky Grizzlies team that's just happy to be there in the conference finals. And I don't think Jazz ever going to die wondering in a series like that, but they would just be overmatched, you would think, in a series like that. So you might be looking at another gentleman sweep there and they go through and they lose two games and then they're, they're sitting back waiting for the whoever they come out of the East, which is going to be an absolute bloodbath. I mean, that... You know, the East is not going to be easy any round. I mean, even you look at the... Maybe that if you get the one seed, um, you know, things Brooklyn's
0: currently good. in the eight. Brooklyn right. is Brooklyn's two and a half in the games. Eight. I'm thinking if the Raptors... Two and a half games behind eight,
1: the seven. The Raptors yeah. or the, the Cavs are probably the team you want at the moment because the Cavs are sort of four, four and six in their last ten and yeah. not really that great. Uh they're maybe very young. The rookie um, wall, etc. Uh, the Raptors have lost OG and Anobi for an extended period of time. That's really hurt them. And I mean, yeah, you talk about these jigsaw pieces that fit into these teams. So I think the Cavs and the Raps are probably two teams you wouldn't mind meeting in that first round. Outside of that, you've got the Nets. You know, the Hornets are obviously still there. Um, the Hawks are in the 10 spot. You don't want to face any of those teams. It's not going to be like... If we, even if we take the Cavs and the Raps out of it and you say you've got the Hornets and the Hawks in the first round, of the playoffs does. Neither of them are going to be easy outs. Uh, so it's I, I don't see any series where teams are going to be going, well, that's, let's, we're rubbing our hands together here. This is going to be a four or five game laugher. Um, I just can't see it. I mean, the, the reason I like the heat is they're opening up a bit of a gap at the top of the conference, uh, but it depends on how that, that eight seed situation plays out and who they get in the first round of the playoffs. Um, whether you might be able to just sort of sneak into a, a game where you do get the Cavs or or the Raptors, who I think are the most vulnerable two teams at the moment, but that could obviously change come playoff time as well. Um, let, let's dig a bit deeper further into the East, as because we watched and I gave you some homework. I have to apologise for giving this game to you to watch today, the Heat and the Sixers, the Sixers at, at the Heat. And I get the sense, and it was a pretty awful game. It was, it was pretty clear right from the start that, that the Heat uh, were going to win quite comfortably. And it was just the game that you looked at and went, the Sixers, the Sixers nothing about what the Sixers did that they told me they cared about the result of that game. They were just sort of going through the motions. And I just get the sense with the Sixers, there's this unearned confidence with this team that they just and it's probably been there for a few years now where they just literally do think they're better than they are. I mean, do you get the same sense? I mean, two games into the Harden experience, they played the Wolves and, and the Knicks, who it's fair to say aren't really well set up uh, to deal with what the Sixers can do. And all of a sudden this is the, you know gonna be the greatest team uh, that we've seen in the history of basketball, almost the man of hyperbole that we saw coming out about it. Do you sort of get the sense that this is a team with a little bit of unearned swagger and unearned confidence that's never really done anything? And, and how, how, how fearful are you, from a Bucks' point of view, um, getting the sixes if it stays at the moment and you get them in the second round in that 2-3 matchup?
0: I've never for a minute the last five years feared Philadelphia. Not for a minute. So say So The entire culture is unearned confidence, right? The self-congratulation around the process right, the, the pity, uh, the self-pity around the process, the self-congratulation from winning these first round draft picks, then the self-pity for not seeing Markel Fultz do what he does and not valuing Jason Tatum and the pity around being victims around the Ben Simmons saga, right? Mm-hmm. The, the Daryl Morey, you know, doing what he's done, you know, um, you know he's never won anything in his life, but he sure does win a lot of transaction stats. And now they have life's greatest quitter, you know, the world's worst teammate. Um, In I do not even like saying his name, you know, the guy's going to have 37% usage. He's just quit on two teams in a row. The guy who says, I don't want to play with Kevin Durant. I don't like kev. I don't want to play with Kevin Durant is what he said. Give me some, give me some Felix. I have the ball in my hands all the time. Is that the team you're asking me about who has unearned confidence? Is, Is this the one, the Philadelphia team? Of course. That's a beautiful way to say it. They've done, they've done absolutely nothing. This team couldn't beat the little Atlanta Hawks last year. I shouldn't dismiss the Atlanta Hawks they played out of their minds, but to say that they're mentally weak, to say that they're, they're, the entire system of organization is built upon some unearned dream that Sam Hinkie devised 10 years ago, right? none of it has been earned. They've tanked their way to do this. Well, Let's and this is the thing, though. Building.
1: You've got to build a yeah. culture, right? And to go in against the heat, and this is the number one seed heat, you, if you win today, you're only a game away from the heat. And to just go in there and say, no, Harden's going to rest. We're going to go through the motions. We're going to show zero uh, intensity because, you know, we're the, we've got bigger fish to fry type of thing. It's like, no, these games in the regular season can really matter. And that's how you build a culture and build the winning mentality. And they just don't seem to get it. Like I watch it with the Bucs and you can tell when, when the Bucs are playing the Nets, they go, tonight. this matters. You know, they don't always win the games. They lost the, the last time they played the Nets, but you can feel the intensity that t- the team like the Bucs is bringing to it. When the Bucs played the Bulls, uh, the other day, it was great to see that that Bulls crowd back in engaged again, you, again, you could tell that that was a big game, the Sixers just don't seem to grasp those sort of moments, they're just going through the motions, yeah, we'll win, you know, we'll we'll be a 50 win team, and then, um, you yeah, know, if we go out in the back door of the playoffs, it'll be everyone else's fault.
0: Yeah, they're like the anti-Heat, the Heat who turn out, like, what was their lineup today, all right, you know, you know, Tucker, Butler, and Bio, but G. Dot Vincent, right. We know Duncan Robinson, who's had a terrible season, only played eighteen minutes. But C. Dot Martin, I'm not sure which one it is. Is he's a twin? I think though. Dwayne Dedman played fifteen minutes, right? Tyler Hero, um, you know, he's coming off the bench. Max Struss, right? Like these guys just can work. You know, I, I'm sick of the Heat culture. It's a, it's a it's such a trite and almost sickening thing, but it is. What, what that message does say is you're going to get a team who will make you earn your victory every single night, which is exactly the opposite of Philadelphia that any given night, they could piss it away or complain it away because the falls don't get called or what Embiid tonight just doesn't want to just decided he didn't want to play. Right. And he took 15 shots, made four of them, you know, 14 free throws. Fantastic. You know, in a minus, you know, minus 12 in his 36 minutes, you know, Mm. I just they just what what are they they're they're nothing <laughs> just like as the team I'm least concerned about um and I don't even know if the bucks are favored. I definitely would be favoring Miami just because their floor is so high and they're so consistent I don't trust them in crunch time but I think their flaws are far fewer and again when you're when your defense is this good that's what's going to carry you through most nights so um anyway that's my feel about about Philadelphia, I just don't even. What else is there to learn? We know who Tybalt is; he's an absolute black hole, right? And team going to start Tybalt and, um, right, Corkmas and like, I just don't even know what they're going to do. I guess Tybalt sits when when Harden comes back, but what Corkmas, Maxi, and Harden is that the lineup like? Well, I think Korkmaz- what I'm
1: seeing. I mean, it's going to be a lot of just two man game between Embiid and Harden. Um, and, and is that going to work down the stretch of some of these close games, and then you got guys sort of standing in
0: the... Brilliant. Court. Drew Holiday and Giannis Antetokounmpo defending, and I go, I'm going to win the other three matchups. <laughs> right? Like, brilliant. Like, how easy is that going to be to defend? Like, Harden's going to run especially... the
1: pick, and then he's going to go from having Drew on him to Giannis on him.
0: Well, he'll score 35 points, but he'll have eight turnovers and 11 whinges, right? And, you know, 12... 12 dropped shoulders and, you know, five possessions that he just gives away. And, you know, 26 consecutive possessions where he doesn't move off ball, right? So I just, there's nothing about that team. I love that phrase, unearned, what do you call it? Unearned confidence? Is that how you phrased it?
1: Unearned confidence.
0: Yeah, unearned, what have they done? Well,
1: and that's (laughs) what what struck me today. I just thought of all teams to be just sleepwalking through a regular season game against the one seed, this is the last team that should be doing that. Like you should be going, we're going to bring it every single night, you know, but now hardens there. They feel like not And even in B just go, that's literally going through the motions, you know, yeah. um, so yeah,
0: didn't break a sweat. Again, it's yeah. sort of like the anti bucks, right? The, I've, the, the Bucks have the hardest schedule in the league, the last, I think after the all-star break. And I'm like, that's perfect for them. That's what they need to start to run a gauntlet to kind of chisel, right? Now this time for them to, you know, hit hit the gym, pump some iron, go through the, you know, have 25 really tough games where teams are gunning for them, and that's that's what's making them kind of figure out who they are. Now their depth is challenged at the moment; they're not at all at full strength. Although, who is? But again, what I'm seeing them do the last couple nights—they battle and battle and battle and battle. And they, when you have Giannis on Giannis and Drew on your team, you never ever quit. And that's quite fun as a fan it's quite fun if you're a punter you're like you want the team who's never ever ever going to quit that's where my money goes and oh by the way right the bucks have won something so, so the heat many of those guys won a title didn't they wait a second they made the finals i almost gave them a title in the bubble dance <laughs> you know let's let's but just cross that, the bubble that, air let's just cross. they did win it. let's say they did win the title That'd have been more fun than than watching the,
1: the only Chief thing Charlie. I remember from the the bubble was the jazz uh, that jazz nuggets first round series. That's it. Or, that, or the rest of it's the fifty
0: point the games. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> I remember um, T J Warren. That was the best part of the bubble. <laughs> 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 but uh, well, no, to finish that thought, right? Just I mean, that for me is if you wanted to talk about the East, you got the the two irresistible, you know, um, irresistible forces in in Miami and Milwaukee. You know, Giannis and the whole Heat culture. They're going to be you're gonna have to earn, you know, your four victories. Then you've got the high beta, what might you get any given night? Philadelphia and, and Brooklyn, you just don't know what you're gonna get night to night. And then you get the sleeper team, right? You got, you know, sorry, Chicago's not for real, Daz. They might be lucky to make the sixth seed at this point. Um, I'll do I'll do respect to DeMar, but is Boston, right? So Boston, who also has a very, very real a real defense and a very real switchable defense. Like that's a team nobody wants to play a bloody mother in law defensive team like that with Derek White and Marcus Smart and, and Rob Williams and your, you know, your Yap and Tatum all game long. It's that's just not, a, that's not going to be easy out either. Um, we'll see what Udoka's is made of that team, but that's the sneaky, pain in the ass team that you do not want to see in the first round. Like oh, that's why I'm eyeing Milwaukee and, and Boston. They could very easily end up with the four or five seed. And meet in the first round, and that will be that will be a seven game war. Like I think Giannis obviously has the physical advantage over them, but that is not. I could very easily see them clamping down right the Bucks backcourt and making that a Giannis score forty five a night, um, which is not easy to do. So that for me is kind of the 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 tale of the East. You got Miami and Milwaukee, the irresistible forces. The the what you might get on a rant, you know, catch lightning in a bottle. Sixers in, in Brooklyn. And then Boston, kind of that sleeper team, would be that pain in the ass team. You just do not want you do not want to get them if they're fully healthy, and motivated.
1: Oh yeah, look, I mean, I'll push back a little bit on the Bulls. I want to. I was actually impressed by that Bulls' uh, performance against the Bucks because I kind of looked at it and thought, if you put Caruso and Lonzo into this team, and then that's the big question: when when do they come back? I think they, they beat the Bucs in that game. It was just so clear to me that they just mm. were missing those defensive pieces. And, you know, the, like the leak out that the Bucks had at a key moment where they get an open lap and you think if Caruso and Lonza are out there, are they, you know, are they allowing that to happen? Are they having that sort of level of, um, you know, or, or that sort of level of attention missing uh, on the defensive end? So I kind of feel like they could, they're staying afloat since those injuries, really because DeMars has just been playing out of his mind uh, on the offensive end. But if they get those two guys back and they can really lock down and play some, some proper defence. And I think the other thing that come out of that game is I think Demar's been playing great confidence. He's hit some game winners this year, but I want the ball in Zach Levine's hands if I'm a Bulls fan. Uh, at the end of these close games, doesn't taking the big shots because i uh, How did you feel watching it from a Bucks point? Yeah. Of I mean, were you sort of more scared of what Demar was going to do, Were you more scared when when Levine had it? Uh,
0: definitely Levine, right? But, um, but again, because. But the Bucks match up so well against them, right? Because Giannis just gets wherever he wants to, and so he was playing at about, you know, two thirds his normal pace. Yeah, poor. Um, he's getting Vucci's hammered, going to right? Yeah, that's why. That's why I mean, yeah. there's such a there's such a good matchup for Milwaukee. Because I'd even I'd argue, you're right. You get Ball and Crusoe, but then you lose your offense, right? What you get from the Kobe White and Desumu is that kind of the getting out in transition. Um, aggressive kind of offensive play, just getting none of that from Lonzo and Alex. So you're right, that probably is a better overall team. Of course, it would be with Lonzo and Caruso, but like that's what, you know, the Pat Connaughton's, right, and George Hills are built for is to kind of soak up, you know, um, soak up those guys on defense. And I just pretty easily, Middleton and Giannis can cook against those two guys, just don't have, the defense up front. They're just too small. And Drew was murdering them. Drew and Giannis had multiple offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter. They're just small, right? And Vooch is not a, you know, Vooch is not defensively alert center. So that matchup is not good for Chicago. Um, I guess what I'm, what I probably am seeing, and just, what I see in Chicago is, uh, yeah, I, I just, oh, uh, uh, do you really believe them in a seven game series against a, a Miami, a Boston or Milwaukee? I just, I have a hard time picking a matchup where I think they're a, a really clear victor. Like if you had to put money on Sixers Bulls, if you had Harden and Embiid, who would you pick as Sixers Bulls, I'd I'd actually probably pick Philly. Cause Embiid I, would probably go for 45 and 20, but I, so I'd like depend, Chicago. Depending
1: if it was the- first round or second round. And that might sound a little bit silly, but I, the, the, the further the rounds get on the less faith i have in the sixes whereas i think if the bulls can mm. get out of that first round uh and yeah i just like that that five man unit that they'd be able to throw out there because i think it's going to be a lot of ice at ball anyway between damar and, and levine i don't think you're going to worry about what other guys can do offensively it's just going to be whether they can get their shots yeah. on. Um, and they've got to get a bit more out of Vucevic, I think, than what they've probably got this year. Um, so I'd, I'd have to see what the teams look like going. I mean, as it stands right at the moment, you'd take the sixes in that series. But if if Caruso and Ball come back and they look good heading into the playoffs, I'd, I'd flip that. I, I think it's a pretty close argument. Um, and I'd take the ball still over the Celtics. I'm not the Celtics did what they did on the powder puff schedule and playing teams that were were shorthanded and things like that. Look, the defense is legit, uh, but I'm still worried with the Celtics when they get in close games. Is the ball going to stick? As it's always stuck with Tatum and with and with Brand, who just to me aren't good enough to play that sort of ISO style of ball uh, down the stretch of these games. So I'm still not totally buying the Celtics, even though it's been nice. A nice sort of run that they've had and then to the point I made in the last part I think Derek White's been a, a plus for them on both ends um, but I still see this feeling it's feeling more and more to me like the Heat and the Bucks will meet in that uh, in the conference finals but the Nets are obviously the team that could play spoiler particularly if Kyrie um, gets back because I mean this whole Kyrie thing does not to bring it back to him again but I mean this whole vaccination thing might be the blessing in disguise because this is a guy that's struggled to stay on the court his whole career he's fresh as a daisy you know and it amazes me people saying well look at kyrie what he's doing and he's playing one game in every two weeks and he's playing really well when he plays it's like do you understand that's probably easier than playing you know eight games in two weeks um you know, it's not like the guy's not putting up shots or whatever he is when he goes home, and he's clearly talented. So I think the degree of the view in him in him putting up the numbers, I don't think is that high at the moment. Uh, and but he's going to be really, really fresh for a playoff run. And really, for them, all they've got to do is get into the playoffs. They don't care if they play at home. They have got no home court advantage anyway. They've probably got the 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 weakest home court advantage of any team in the NBA who would have a weaker home court advantage probably the raptors because they're, they're they've been fans to this point but you know I, I don't see who would have a weaker home court advantage than the nets um so that's the team i think could they can play spoiler for the from the heats and the bucks uh, point of view when the Conference, conference play start particularly if, if the heat end up getting them in that one eight matchup in the first round yeah how
0: that would be i mean that would be high drama wouldn't it the Vaccination ban on employees lifts. You know, Kyrie's able to play. You know, full series, and you've got right full health. Heat Brooklyn. My goodness, it's it's an injustice, right, for playing. You forget. You're not even sure who's the one and who's the eight seed, right? Which is the a bit of the injustice, but it speaks to just the embarrassment of you know of riches that that that, that Brooklyn does have. But I. I don't underestimate the power of Ben Simmons to to ruin everything as well, <laughs> though, does, I mean, right, if we can stand in the corner, like and not shoot, it'd be like the not PJ Tucker, like to stand in the corner and not shoot. He just, you know, unless there's one second left in the shot clock, like how on first- Well, earth he's a
1: guy from an offensive insert, point of view that knows the yeah. ball in his hands. So, and he's, guess what he's not going to have when he's playing with the Nets and Kyrie and KD? He's
0: not going to have the ball in his Confidence. hands. Uh, yeah, that's right. It's dunker spot. I mean, it's the only place he can be dunker spot. Right? It you can't play him. In dunker it, spot. Yeah, well, they stand no, it's just stand in dunker spot and just you know go weak side every time the ball moves around the perimeter and try to get it off to rebound, or you know, wait if Kyrie breaks down a defense, maybe you get a dump off, occasionally a lob. That's it. That's his role. Full stop. But there's you can't oh, play well, on the wing.
1: To be fair you though. Brian Windhorse has been saying he's look, looking good in workouts, so you never know. Does
0: that's true? And if Windhorse says he looks good in workouts, you you know it must be like 300 club there. He must be absolutely cut because you know Windhorse is there. You know, you're probably dabbing the sweat off his brow, and then you know sniffing the the towel in the locker room whilst he never mind. <laughs>
1: so look it's going to be don't underestimate
0: don't underestimate the the ability of the Brooklyn Nets to implode on themselves what well by the way Kevin Durant doesn't play very much because he's come back from catastrophic leg injuries and he's he's the best player in the world when he plays which is about 44 percent of the time
1: well the best case scenario is they it stays as it is at the moment the Nets meet the Raptors in that first um in that first uh, playing game. Playing. And that's when yeah. they grab the seven seed and face off against the sixes in the first round. <laughs> and that's gonna be- That's Des true, White.
0: that's a good point. What am I saying? Heat, Heat, Brooklyn. We have to have Philadelphia, Brooklyn. Because we, we have to force Ben Simmons to walk on the court in Philadelphia. Like he would hope security is at, you know, um, at an all time high. Um, they're almost like treated like an English Premier League game. Um, but well, that's that, an old that,
1: alien versus predator does. That's whoever wins we <laughs> win. But uh, I, I I don't know who I would go for. I'd have to go for the Nets in that series.
0: You don't go for, I don't go for anything. You just sit back, maybe write a metaphorical a cigarette and just watch that. Just watch the train wreck. Watch because you know there'll be a grand unraveling. Of some some order, you don't know who, you don't know when, you don't know how, but that is that is the um, that is inevitable. There would be how many jobs get lost in a you know Philadelphia Brooklyn sweep, one way or the other. Mm-mm-mm. You're right, Daz. That's the that's the delicious matchup we all deserve. I actually literally wouldn't care if the Bucks get knocked out. If I sit back and watch someone unravel, like one of those two right, pathetic franchises just completely implode delicious delicious i'd usher the celtics to the finals if one of those two franchises would just implode on top of itself just to shut them up oh it'd be delicious
1: oh sorry this is
0: loving anti-lovings moment there i'm
1: sorry we saw it last year though with the Sixers and the hawks because i remember saying after they they lost that game five at home and I said to you, they get, "You know what's going to happen?" I said, "They're going to go to Atlanta and win Game Six, and the exact same script's going to play out in Game seven. <laughs> and that's exactly I, what happened. It was I, just, I, all brutal in Game Seven. I
0: I refuse to believe. I you said that, and I'm like, "There's no way, Des. Come on, like, let's get real. Like, they're going to, you know, Embiid will strap it on, and you know, they'll win by 11. You know, the trail will hit a few big shots, but you know, they'll just be too strong. No, they." They did, they collapsed in their own weight. So, you know, geez, it's so hard to choose the loathsome factor of Kyrie plus Ben. You know, is it greater than, equal to, or less than James Harden? The, to whom do you have less respect for? It's such a hard equation. It's pretty even. It's pretty even.
1: Well, can so I anyway let, let's move to the lower end of the conferences, Daz, and, and the and the Tankathon race. Can I I'll give a shout out to the Detroit Pistons? And we haven't spoken much about them, but they're five and five in the last ten, and I've caught a few of those games. And I'll tell you this: Dwayne Casey deserves huge props. He, they play hard every single night, and they're in a lot of these games. They've lost a lot of close games. But I'm seeing some genuine development there and actually. A lot of people are talking about Jeremy Grant. I think Jeremy Grant's enjoying his time in Detroit. I think he likes to be the man. I don't think he cares. You know, they're 747. I'm sure he'd like them to have won more games. But this is the role that he chose. And I think he had his eyes open when he went there in Detroit. Um, So I think, and, and I just, I like to see teams, you know, who sort of know where they're at, but you're not cutting corners. You're going out there, you're competing every single night. You're doing the right things. you know. I think Orlando, to some extent, have done that this year as well. Um, The teams that have disappointed me, I think the Knicks and the Pacers and the Wizards, they've been pretty poor um, in the Western Conference, even though they've got more wins than those teams. I think the Thunder and the Rockets have generally been um, catastrophically bad, Uh, particularly the Rockets. They're one of the worst teams. They've lost 12 in a row at the moment, as... They're one of the worst teams mm. we've seen in a long, long time in the NBA. I know they've won 15 games. So I don't know how they've won 15 games. I think when they win these games, they just bomb the other team sort of out of the building. Um, and Kevin Porter Jr. sort of catches fire or something. That's the only way they can do it. And even the Thunder, there's just too many games where I see of the Thunder where you just think, what are you even trying to do tonight? Like there's just no rhyme or reason um to what they're trying to do on the game to game basis. I mean, what teams do you feel like though of those teams are sort of setting themselves up, uh, best for the future? If we're, if we're looking now at teams that are pretty much out of the, out of the playoff picture. And I think you can sort of go from the the blazers down in the West, um, and, and the, and the, um, the wizards down in the East.
0: Yeah. Good question. Look, um, uh maybe it's a quick process of elimination right i think the questions around there's so many questions around the tankathon i'm sorry the chugga chugga happening in new orleans right where they do have a raft of draft picks coming still right and an elite franchise player who by every measure doesn't want to be there and is probably going to anti anthony davis's way out of town so you think that in many ways, the the next general manager and head coach of New Orleans is a very, very attractive job as imagine trading Zion, you know, for you know, for some sort of package and having, you know, having some assets there to build around. That's that could be an attractive job, but certainly not right now. Portland, no, nothing. They got Simons and a bunch of nothing, not many picks. That's would say the long rebuild there. The Spurs, you know, you probably trust that system to build you know, something in the long term, but there's, uh, there's no short term, you know, um, no offense, there's not a lot of, you wouldn't say within three years, this is going to be a team pushing for a five seed or anything that they've got a few years down and probably then a few more years back up to rebuild something long term. Um, The Kings next, Houston, I I think I'm all I'm with Chris Vernon here, where they just got a bunch of Christian Wood and Jalen Green and Kevin Porter juniors and they just got a bunch of it's a G-League team, they play like a G-League team, they look like a G-League team, they act like a G-League team, they're, they're almost not even Brett Brown tanking Sixers bad, they're just out of control, loosely organized, and not that serious about basketball, so I, don't, I wouldn't choose them. The Magic, no, nothing, they're too slow, the leadership's too, too uncreative and too traditional, I just don't really have, you know, Suggs is not a guy. Pacers are on the path but they need to tear it down before they build it back up. They got some pieces there, but they're always a pressure to you know fight for the eight seed. Washington, New York are in free fall, not tons of assets. Washington might be something, but they're a mess. So that leaves me with the two teams, right? Which is where perhaps I should have cut to the chase and say it's Oklahoma City and in, in Detroit. And between the two franchises, Daz, as much as I like the Sadiq Bay story and you write about Dwayne Casey being a very grown up coach and, And Cade's, you know, Cade's long-term upside as well as a, you know, 2020 or 2010-10 kind of guy, you know, on good efficiency. For me, it's what I've seen more from Shea Gildas alexander than I have from from Cade Cunningham. And that's obviously by his age and his time in the league, but he's the kind of player you hope to get in the lottery. And you got Sam Presti, who was a very creative and aggressive GM, right? Not afraid to make hard moves, not afraid to take and use his salary cap to get assets and they've got a really really talented player in shea who right i I think there could be some exaggeration in his stats because he's on such a low calories team but he passes every eye test does doesn't he um where he's just he's he's jaw light right he's not jaws explosiveness but he's jaw light doesn't have that physicalness but he kind of can do a lot at all three levels and is a great kind of team guy. So of all the tankers, I would say Oklahoma City is still probably the most attractive. What do you think? Are you are you more in the Detroit camp?
1: I'm in the Detroit camp. I I there's too many games to me. I think there's some bad habits developing, you know, KC. And I'm just I'm seeing it more and more. Mm. Maybe I just catch him on the wrong nights. But I look at, and I also wonder, is Shea's timeline going to be the same as the rest of this franchise's timeline as guys mm. come in? Um, you know, and, and certainly look in Detroit, Jeremy Grant's timeline is not, not going to match up with anything Detroit's going to do, but at least you've got a guy there that's going to be, you know, keep, keep the franchise at the floor of the franchise night tonight. is he's not going to absolutely tank and crater because you've got a guy like that that you're throwing out there and you're playing competitive basketball and you're in those games and they're learning from their mistakes i mean we talk about the spurs the spurs have had a perfect tanking season in a sense because they've lost every single close game that they've been in but they've been competitive night to night. so the young guys are getting exposure and we saw josh primo out there today making mistakes against the the hornets and that's how you learn. And that's how you build from the franchise. Now, the problem for the Spurs is they just don't have the star power. And you probably need those really high picks to get that star power in. And they'll be hoping to do that. Well, the Pistons are going to have another high draft pick this year. I think Cade Cunningham going to be a star. That, so I think he's going to be a real good player within this league. The Sadiq Bay story is really nice. Isaiah Stewart looks like he's going to be a player for a number of years to come. I just like what they're building. I like the core that's coming together there. And I like the fact that they're learning a hell of a lot about themselves. And I think in, in two or three years time, you could see a Hawks like rise from the Pistons, um, you know, through this Eastern Conference where all of a sudden you look at and go, hang on, the Pistons are in the second round and the Sixers are looking wobbly. Don't tell me it's going to happen again. But uh, that, that's what I sort of see from this team Days. And the opposite with with OKC, I just think when you're, You know, you look at some of the games they've lost this year, some of the blowouts that they've been a part of, and some of the games where, like Philly today, they look like they're going through the motions. I don't like to see that. That's where I sort of go, oh, that's not a team that I think, um, you know, is is heading in the right direction. But having said that, look, they've won three (laughs) more games than the Pistons this year. And I think Shea's better right now than any other player. But I still think Cade Cunningham projects better as a better player than Shea Gildas-Alexander does across the course of his career. And Giddy Giddy kind of is what, I I don't know how much better Giddy's going to get in his career. I certainly hope it's going to be. And I I expect there'll be some development, but I think the gaps in his game are gonna continue to be gaps in his game as he goes on. And I said, when he was drafted, he's tall Ricky Rubio, and I've really seen nothing. Uh, to dissuade me of that notion. So that'll be a really nice player. And and if he gets on the right team, I think he's going to be an outstanding uh, contributor to a good team. But I'm not sure that he's going to necessarily be a star. And a lot of the draft picks that they've got and the assets that they've got, uh, OKC going forward may not be that great either um, in terms of, you know, having um, the the picks from... um, where they go, they've got some Rockets picks, haven't they? So the Rockets picks might end up being pretty good uh, as, as time goes on. Uh, the, the team, and final point I'll make, is before I throw back to you, New Orleans own La- the Lakers pick next year. So that's one to watch as well, because uh, the Lakers could fall out of this altogether if they kept their free fall uh, going in the Western Conference, although that, that would appear to be unlikely. That would need sort of the Kings to catch fire or something like that. Um, and, and saying the Kings catch fire is a bit of an oxymoron in itself. So, what, what, where do you sort of see that, though, Daz? I mean, do you think that's a that's a fair call on on the Pistons? And how important is it to sort of develop those proper well, habits, even when you're in a losing situation?
0: Yeah, of course it is. But I mean, that's why I don't like Houston at all for what they're doing. It's just it's 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 ugly, right? What, what I will say about Oklahoma City is they took a swing. They could tell they had a very Right. They had a very specific, their eyes gazed, like the eye of Sauron on on Josh Skiddy for some reason. Right. So I think, uh, you know, it might be selling him short to say he's tall Rubio only because he's so young. Right. You know, he doesn't have that scoring, the scoring ability yet, but his, again, I think his floor is quite high and you could see him in particular, you know, being a really attractive trade asset you know, being a really attractive player to a team, you know, who's got a a gunning kind of two because Shea has the ball in his hands so much, like that's not a very nice compliment in the backcourt with, with Giddy, but if he was next to a, you know, a Terry Rozier or a Clay Thompson or a a Devin Booker type or a, a Donovan Mitchell, if he was next to, right, an elite two who can shoot the ball, I think you could see Giddy get a, be quite attractive in terms of an asset you know, um, asset play for Oakland, Oakland city and, and have probably be in a much better spot to see, you know, more of his upside. Um, but, so that's why I think that's my last kind of point about OKC, but yeah, I think in terms of of franchise, in terms of a franchise anchor, I would probably put Cade, geez, he's, but just a slight tick ahead of Shea, just because Shea is quite, you know, it's a 25 point a game score, that's hard to come by. That being said, Cade is far more likely to raise the performance of his teammates, right? He's that natural playmaker distributor where Shea is more of a scorer, scorer slasher type with the ball in his hands. So that for me is probably a more valuable skill set in your franchise anchor, that that which Cade has. And then, but I guess we'll just see about this front office though. And they've been pretty clever so far. You know, the front office in Detroit, we'll see if they can you know, stick to a vision and stick to a plan. Like again, the signing of Jeremy Grant. Not sure what that was about, but probably not really going to cost them too much. But um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. what they if they can stick to a plan and build around Caden, um, and yeah, I just don't. I haven't probably studied the draft enough yet. We'll get into that probably a little bit later to see, you know, um, how they can complement his skill set. Yeah, we I
1: certainly start looking at some draft uh, draft footage, and I'll be a bit more engaged. In, in <laughs> yeah this year than i've uh yeah you know, in, in previous years um
0: but i guess the last question for me was then i guess where you know we, we felt like that you know dwayne casey had sort of been embarrassed embarrassed his way out of the league that the very public collapse and failures of just to do anything creative or meaningful to get the raptors over the hump against against braun james is kind of an exile here you know, with a couple of old, old blokes, um, Stefanski and co, throwing him a bit of a lifeline in Detroit. But that for me is the kind of the, the big question there is, you know, is he going to see this through as well? Or do what they really need is one more draft with, you know, an electric, hopefully an electric talent um, next to Kate. And do they need a, a younger or more creative coach, right, to come and actually unlock, you know, what they could become? I don't know the answer to that, but that's. That'll be a question there it's not to say that he can't it's not to say that you know older coaches can't do that by any stretch you just you just do wonder though if he's to what extent is he connecting and if he is you know good on him but um but it just seems more likely they'll have a changing of the guard there or maybe there's a there's a retirement or something for him to have to leave you know um leave with grace but um yeah again back to the back to the question i'd probably still take Oklahoma city's assets and prestige's Put spot over Detroit's, but I think it's a fair point about Kid is probably the more attractive franchise asset overall.
1: Hmm. Well, and the last point I'll make on rookies, a rookie of the year race is going to come down to the last few months of the se- or last month or so of the season uh, with Scotty Barnes really against Mobley. I think that's a sort of two horse race. Maybe Giddy can still sort of push push his way in there, but I think the fact that both of those teams are in the playoff race, and obviously Mobley and Barnes. Um, are, are, are important parts of those teams. And I think it's sort of been, everyone had Mobley penciled in, but he's really hit the hit the rookie wall lately and Barnes is coming on a bit. So that's something to just keep an eye on, but they've both been really, really good. And I think the Cavs and Raptors um, would both be delighted at how that happened. And I think had Cade have played right from the start of the season and played the way he's playing lately, uh, he might've been in that conversation as well. So Detroit wouldn't be... Um, too disappointed. And I think with the Rockets, they probably don't have any clue what they've got there with that turn the way they've played this year, um, which has really been a head-scratching to me, the way they've gone about it. Uh, the other point, the, the the final thing I might want to cover, Daz, is a, a Livingston moment from the week gone by. And I want to give a shout out to Ty Lou. What a job. Can you believe the Clippers are 34 and 31? Paul George has not played a heck of a lot. Uh, Kawhi Leonard's not played at all. And they absolutely destroyed the Lakers. Um, you know, the, the bigger franchise, was obviously, in LA uh, earlier this year to just continue their dominance over the Lakers in, in recent times. Did you catch any of that game, Des? And I mean, how surprised they... Because I sort of... It was one of the things I've gotten right. And I mean, we've, we've got plenty wrong when we reviewed this, uh, preview this season. But one of the things I felt like I got right was saying... This Clippers team is gonna be better than people think even without kwai And the fact that they're above 500 even without Paul George is quite stunning to me. It goes to what Tyler's done, but it also goes to the fact that just different guys are stepping up each night and, and it's been fun to watch. And it was certainly fun to watch Reggie Jackson just <laughs> humiliate the Lakers uh, in that game last week. Did you catch any of that? And then what have you sort of made of the Clippers?
0: Yeah, it was, again, almost like jaw going for 52 was hard not to see um, the Clippers because, again, I was sort of taking a little bit of um, embarrassing solace in the fact that the Pelicans came into LA and absolutely trounced the Lakers, like 123.95 and a couple nights later than a similar similar result with the Clippers. So there was sort of like the, I was firing up the, firing the coal into the engines to ask the chugga-chugga-choo-choo. You know, coming around the mountain there in, in um leBron land. So it was I was chortling at Reggie Jackson, peacocking, laughing, finger pointing, like you know, you know, as if he was the one there that Jack Nicholson and everyone was there to see. <laughs> it, it was quite beautiful. And the, the poetry was not lost on me. That back-to-back nights that the you know Brandon Ingram and the franchise that LeBron and Clutch absolutely tampered and decimated with the Pelicans and the team that they constantly snicker and chortle and dismiss the Clippers and back-to-back games, send them to the depths of, of lower in the Western Conference. So that was hard not to see the drama as well as the X's and O's. But to your, to your bigger point, um, yeah, it is remarkable what Tyloo is doing with that ragtag bunch for as much as that I get exhausted by um, fan conversations and quote, national media conversations about, you know, team team A will beat team B and team B complains because they have players out, right? as if complaining about players out is unique um, to each individual franchise, right? And you just don't you just get a, a group like Ty Lu and the Clippers who, um, who to say they have their stars out is an understatement. And to be 500, above 500, and playing quite together—that's the other remarkable thing, Daz quite a—that's quite a together team, even though roles change. And boy, the, the the faces in that lineup have changed. Uh, absolute credit to Ty Lee for keeping a, a really cohesive unit despite constant changing, you know, personnel. And you mentioned you know, obviously Kawhi and obviously Paul George, but they go and acquire this big trade was acquiring Norman Powell. Yeah. He was there for about five games and breaks his foot. That's mm. their that was going to be their twenty. You know, he was there actually played three games. Right, twenty, you know, twenty one points a game in his three games there you know, that's that's their big scoring threat and bang, he goes and gets injured. Right. And so, you know, team that's led by, you know, Reggie Jackson and Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard and old man Nick Batum and Zubach and some dude called Amir Koff. He just loves to play basketball and Covington seems to found a nice little, you know, nice niche again for himself. And Isaiah Hartenstein, who's you probably heard in all the national podcasts is like leading the NBA in you know, defensive plus minus for reasons unknown to Anyone except for probably Alan Turing and Albert Einstein for how that's possible, but yeah, um, it's sort of like the major league of the NBA, just faces you don't recognize who play like a unit. And yeah, tip your hat to Ty Lue. Um, I'm not going to go so far as to say if George and Kawhi come back, this is a title contender. You know, that's probably a conversation that's a month away. But um, but if I, I'm probably more familiar with Kawhi's injury, having hints that. You know he's about a year now removed from that ACL um, surgery, but I'm probably a little more vague about Paul George's um, uh, injury status. But yeah, always good to see the kind of the, the coach of the year race going to be extremely tight. And here's one guy who's with a 500 team would have every right to win it mm. for just what well, he's done.
1: The thing is, too, I, I think Kawhi is probably more of a chance of coming back than Paul George, even though that's probably not the official narrative. But what I'm looking at those that injuries, um, that's normally a much longer injury for Paul George uh, than than what. The, the, the suggestions have been. So I think he'll be out. I'll, I would be surprised if we saw him again this season, but maybe we'll see him just before the playoffs, but get your head around this, does this, this could be some of the first round matchups you have in the Western Congress, which actually might be a bit more fun than maybe we've given it credit for. Phoenix, Playing the Clippers, and let's suggest the Clippers get Paul George and Kawhi back. That's going to be all of a sudden a very interesting series. Uh, you could have the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves, and you've got Anthony Edwards and Jar just jawing j- at each other, and uh, Jar just having a poor old Cat whatever. Mm have a target on his chest without a doubt uh, what Jazz going to try and do. But uh that would be a bit of fun. I think some young talent on display there. The Warriors and the Nuggets, particularly if the Nuggets can get uh, Jamal Murray back, you could have Steph and and uh, Jamal Murray training hammer blows and then the, the high IQ play of Draymond and, and Jokic going back to back against each other. You know, Draymond trying to work it out defensively and vice versa for Jokic. And then a sneaky fun, you know, Jazz Mavericks matchup, which is the sort of one you'd just penciling to go seven games. And Mitchell's going to have some huge games. Johnson's going to have some huge games. And that one's going to go down to the wire. So we might end up with quite a fun sort of first round of, of the Western Conference. I mean, what, what if, if that's the way it played out, that's what would be the one that would be most interesting to you?
0: Well, I think we want to see Phoenix Lakers, right? I mean, I think that's hard not to say. AD or I don't no want AD. to
1: see the Lakers at all. There's not one skerrick of me that wants to see the Lakers. Yeah, the I
0: want to see them lose in five. That's why I'm finishing <laughs> the thought, right? To, you know, to Chris Paul again, let's just put, the, put a coffin in that in that franchise whose their only asset is the weather, right? When you think about franchise building, it's just a disgrace to humanity. So I, I want to see the train wreck, but I, I guess I want to see the matchup where if Jamal Murray comes back, Right. That's I want to see Denver's first round series because Jokic is so unique at holding together a unit and Jamal and he have, I don't think it'll take any time at all for them to re, you know, restart what mm-hmm. what they've had. And I don't think they would be a, you know, a real serious threat, but I think that would be in terms of like, say, winning, winning the West mm-hmm. or anything. But that for me would be the greatest, kind of the most interesting story of, of the playoffs is just getting Jamal back such a great dude right with Jokic having another MVP season that would just be far more fun to see for me than in Kawhi. Sorry. I, I don't give a I don't give a rat. So, so much as I'm tipping my hat to Tybu, I could give zero bleeps about Kawhi bleeping Leonard and 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 bloody Steve bleeping Balmer and his franchise. Like no give me the gimme Jokic and, and Murray and whoever they've got. Um, that's where I'm at. And again, I know you don't like them, but I'm also, I kind of like Dallas is, Dallas is sneaky, right? So that Dallas, Utah probably would be my favorite matchup or the Denver would be my most intriguing watch. I think Dallas, Utah for me would be, would be fascinating to begin a study in contrast and, you know, can, can Luca out-duel Mitchell? Can, can Rudy take advantage of a very, a much smaller Dallas, you know, front court? And can he can he assert himself and play 36 minutes a night in a, in a long series and win one, uh, I think there'd be a lot of there would be a lot of intrigue there can can Jason Kidd coach playoff basketball question mark right, I think there'd be that'd be a lot of fun for me. Um, and for people who don't objectively hate Luca I think that'd be a really interesting series.
1: Well, that counts. What's yours? Be so I know. I mean, I know. <laughs> I'm going to bring it back to where we started, Des. And my eyes are going to be firmly fixed on the Memphis Grizzlies and their point guard, John Moran, and whoever yeah. he comes up against, look out. And if he gets D'Angelo Russell in that first round, uh, it's going to be on. The press conferences are going to be fantastic with Anthony Edwards. They're going to be just worth watching. Uh, so that's the, that's the matchup I'd be just like, that's going to be a fun one, you know, and I think the, the reason is to take care of business in five, six games, but uh, it'd be, it'll be interesting, though, in that matchup too, if, if Minnesota can take one of those first three games uh, and sort of go, okay, we're here, we're, you know, this isn't going to be a cakewalk. And uh, let's, let's see what Anthony Edwards can do in the playoffs too, because this guy's got another level I think he can get to. And he's probably a year behind, obviously, where, where Jar is in terms of his development. But I think he's got a pretty high ceiling as well, Des, uh, that we can see um, for the Timberwolves. So it's just great to see young talent coming through and on, on the, that, that sort of big stage where you'd see the Jared Jacksons as well uh, of the league. Uh, For Promentus, so my eyes are going to be firmly on Jar because I'm just I'm also wondering is there another level this guy can get to? I I don't know. You're going to see a better game than what he played against the Spurs, but maybe he's he does have something else in his locker does um, that he can pull out when when the players come because we saw it from Giannis last year, didn't we? Just we go what else can this guy do? And then he he comes out in that game six of the finals to wrap up the series and just go wow that's has there been a more dominant. You know, um, final game well, performance in an NBA, but, you know, maybe Duncan when he knew yeah. the, the quadruple double against the Nets all those years ago, but uh, there's not been too many um, from what we're seeing. So that, that's where my eyes are going to be in the Western Conference. It's going to be okay, I'm on Team Grizz now, let's see what Jar can do.
0: Well, take it from me and all of our fan base. When you say the question, is there another level? as we just witnessed, right, whatever, eight months ago, Giannis score 50 points in a game six, right? There's always this true, you know, the super super superstars, your top five NBA players, their levels emerge. And so I think we'll see, we'll see what the pressure does to him. Will the pressure, you know, um, you know, will that bring out the best of him or will that actually be, you know, probably too much for him here in his, you know, his, his youth. So. I think the theoretical ceiling on him is is it's MVP level. He's got that level of talent. The question is, yeah, you know, it's you know, history tells us it's a bit too soon, but I, I'm I can see your point. Hard to take your eyes off the most electric, electrifying, enjoyable, um, joyful, explosive player to come along in, in quite a while.
1: Well, so that I, would...
0: want, I, I still want Jamal Murray and, and Jokic. <laughs> winning one-on-one to 98 because they make such good passes. There you
1: go. <laughs> well if Jamal can come back and be, you know what I was how high I was on the Nuggets, particularly in the, the bubble. You um you know, and I think it's a shame what what happened to them in that Western conference finals, not to sort of rehash um, you know, some of the refereeing, et cetera, that we saw in the sort of the bounce of the ball and Mason Plumley being out there when he shouldn't have been and things like that. I think that could have been a much closer series than what it ended up being. Against the Lakers, but I love watching them, and it's just such a shame too that Paul, Michael Porter Jr. has had the problems that he's had because the theoretical fit of those guys together was just absolutely sensational. Yeah, um, you know, and, yeah. and final point I mean, in terms of the Eastern Conference, I mean, the team that I'm most looking forward to watching um, is probably the Bulls if they can get their best team back together, but I think a Bulls Celtics first round matchup, I'd be really interested to see. Um, you know, is is this stuff from the Celtics in the regular season all sort of piss and wind? Or are they going to be able to bring it when it matters and, and what's that Chicago lineup going to look like? Um and and those Chicago crowds, does I don't know if there's a better crowd in the league than those those Chicago crowds now that they're, they're back and engaged and they're just they were absolutely rabid in that Bucks game the other day. And it does add to the games, you know, when when you see terms like the Bulls and and the Knicks in those big games, and the Knicks yeah. fall away again. But it does add up something, doesn't it, to the, the atmosphere and to the, the the um the product itself when you're watching those games.
0: Of course, it does it. But that's it's so funny you said it because that is an absolutely cavernous arena. I've been there many times. It was it's was still called the United Center, but it's called that for decades, wasn't it? But that's you're right though. That is a highly engaged crowd in Chicago. That's for sure. Um. But in terms of the, my non-Bucks teams, I'm most interested in. Right, I think the basketball I, I want to see most is, you know, um, is it's unfortunately it's the drama. right? I want to see how these franchises who fence themselves, right, self-anointed, you know, elites in, in Brooklyn and Philly. I want to see how those play out. I just do. I know what I, I know what to expect from Miami. You know, the Bucks. You know, if they get knocked out this year. I, you know, the emotions aren't gonna be anywhere near like when we lost to the, you know, to the Raptors. So I think Bucks fans are like, we had this miracle, um, miracle run. Um, we'd love to see it come together again, but you pretty much know what you're gonna get from the Bucks, right? Is they could be the best team in the league and then they could score 83 points the next night. They're also, they're not immune to, to stinkers. So I want the drama and then I'm, I'm probably with you. I am probably always curious about the the upstart. What could a healthy Cleveland team do you know what could a healthy chicago team do in the playoffs that's always the most fun right Is when you get this these sort of upstart teams are kind of there for the first time with the group of players that's that's fun that's it's fun to see what they're made of so yeah i, I guess I'll, I'll 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 reluctantly agree that i guess by default probably the bulls are the most interesting in terms of what they could become uh, come playoff time will Demar fold the tent again you know, like he did in Toronto for so many years, or will, you know, with will will the pressure, you know, be, be too much for the opponents and his, their ridiculous clutch performances, you know, carry them. That would be a fun storyline to trail. Mm. So the good news dad is we're getting close. We're in the home stretch. There should be, there should be some good ball here the next few weeks though, right? There's enough to play for There's enough at stake that, and you know, I sense the intensity in a lot of these games and, you know, uh, you know, increasing. So, mm. um, feels like the real nba is about to start
1: well are you gonna catch uh tomorrow's game bucks Bucks suns um the the nba finals yeah it'll
0: have to be on it'll have to be on replay look you know um i i've got probably too much work to do to watch it live but yeah for sure i'll watch it Mm. i'll watch it tomorrow night on on replay um but um yeah, any other matchups you're you're kind of eyeballing? Who are you? What teams are you looking at the next week or two? I think the Cavs you and want the Raptors see? is an
1: interesting one tomorrow because that's two teams that have been struggling lately. So let's see who can steady the ship there. The Nuggets play the Pels. The Pels are on an absolute tear lately. So let's see if they can they can do that. Um, Celtics Nets also tomorrow morning. does is one the maybe catch on replay because that's Kyrie will be able to play that game because it's in Boston. And you've got KD back as well. So you might get some sort of a sense of what that next team is going to look like um, when they have everyone available. So there's actually some interesting games just tomorrow, even just looking that yeah. down the schedule. And the Mavericks Jazz uh, play on Tuesday. So we talked about that as a potential uh, first round matchup, Nuggets Warriors as well. That time. So we've got two of those. sort the of first round matchups potential. I'm just seeing
0: Bulls Tuesdays. Interesting Bulls, Sixers. Mavs, Jazz, and yeah, Golden State, Denver. That's yeah, a couple of interesting days coming up.
1: Mm. Yeah, so a, so I mean, yeah, when March the starts, not often we sort of see those games fall in the background. We may see that sort of in the later part of March again, but certainly to your point, we're seeing a lot more uh, competitiveness um, in these games and in a lot of games that matter in terms of really sort of hitting their straps. Uh, at the moment. So there's some, some good games to look forward to, Daz. And so hopefully we'll see, we'll catch them this week, Daz. and we'll have some more Livingston moments to look back on uh, in, in the week ahead. But uh, certainly that uh, the Bucks-Suns and um, uh, the the Celtics-Nets tomorrow are two games that we can maybe look at and um, and report back on and see what we we see, our uh, take out of those uh, when we move, catch up again, hopefully next week.
0: Good stuff, buddy. Good to chat.
1: All right. Thanks, man. I hope Monty continues the he continues his recovery.
0: Thanks, pal. Have fun um pre-studying Tankathon. Okay. For the first time in a long time. <laughs> Sorry.
1: Thanks, mate. Talk soon.
0: Cliff Levingston took the charge, and there was no foul call.